0: Well hey guys, how are we doing? We all right? I hear one person is, that's good. We can work with that. Uh, my name's Ollie if I haven't met you and it's a great privilege to be uh, the pastor here of our youth and young adults at City Reach and to gather together under God's Word. And I'm really pumped tonight. Uh, we're starting a new series called Anchors as we study chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Romans. Tonight's chapter 7 Uh, And then over the next three weeks, we'll be doing chunks of chapter eight. I believe wholeheartedly that in the mess of our lives, God's word gives us an anchor to hold on to. And I know many of you guys are going through stuff. Our life is rocky. We, We struggle with our faith. We struggle to know who we are. We struggle in our suffering with illnesses and, and mental illness. We struggle for acceptance. Life is rocky. Uh, in my backyard, I've got this uh, shade cloth. Uh, and in the thick of the storm, this shade cloth uh, goes nuts, you know, swinging up and down. But it doesn't blow away. Can you picture that in the storm? The shade cloth going everywhere, but it's not going anywhere. Because it's been anchored down in four different spots. And I've seen the big screws. I I poured the concrete that holds the posts. I know that when it's stretched and it's strained, it is not going anywhere. And what I'm praying for us as we study Romans over the next four weeks is that we will understand better the anchors that hold us down. When things look bleak and when doubts surface, we'll know what to cling to, to stop us from collapsing. And I'm praying for you guys. I'm praying that you will grow in your resilience, your faith. Praying that you will grow in your trust in God. I'm praying that you will grow in your love and your delight in Jesus and his word for your lives. May this not just be another nice thought for your Sunday night, but I'm praying and I'm really passionate that God's word would seep deep into your soul into your very being. And because I'm so passionate about this, I want to call each of us from the get-go to a challenge. I want to challenge you tonight. Will you commit with me to reading one chapter, Romans chapter 8, every day for the entirety of this month? That's ambitious and... Maybe you can only do one or two a week. But I believe as we meditate on these amazing realities, we're going to experience more and more of God's Word in our lives. I've called this the 7-8 challenge. Romans 8, seven days a week for the month of August, which happens to be the eighth month of the year. 7-8 challenge. Put it on your bathroom door, Romans 8. Put it on your phone cover, in the shower, in the fridge. Set a phone alarm. Whatever it takes, let's really soak in this, guys. The 7-8 challenge, Romans 8, every day. I'm going to give it a shot. Join me, and I'd love to see what God does. So as we get into this, uh, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray right now that you would come and meet us. Would you breathe through your word to speak to our very souls, We believe in your word, Lord, that it is powerful, that it cuts bone and marrow. I just know that there are many barriers up that prevent us from hearing you. But Lord, I pray that you would speak with great clarity tonight to your children, to awaken us to your spirit, to life, and a firm foundation. Holy Spirit, please come. Come and meet us. Come and speak. Speak through your word. For those, Lord, who are enchained, I pray for freedom. For those who are doubting, I pray, Lord, for clarity and hope. Lord, we trust you and we long to hear your voice. So speak. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so I said before, we're starting with Romans chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7 surfaces a struggle that I think many of us who call ourselves Christians will inevitably experience. The struggle of spiritual failure when we feel like we just don't measure up to the standard. And maybe you're here tonight and you're trapped in a habitual sin that you just can't seem to shape. Maybe you've been going good for a while, but you've just found yourself, you've relapsed. Maybe you look to others who are more spiritual than you. You know, you kind of want to be more serious about your faith, but you also kind of like just kind of picking and choosing and working what's good for you and if you've ever questioned and doubted whether you are truly saved the storm if you like it's not external around us it's internal inside your mind as you wrestle with who you are and what your life amounts to you know what you should do and you want to do that but you just can't seem to change it's a spiritual struggle a spiritual battle But it's worth asking at this point, and maybe you're wondering, uh, why spiritual battle? Why does it matter if I sin? God is love, right? I'm forgiven of my sin, right? Sin's a bit of an oppressive term, isn't it? Maybe that's what you're thinking. And that's where we start with Romans 7, because this was the question Paul is addressing back in Romans 6 that we looked at early in the year, if we're saved by grace, can't I, can't I just keep on sinning and it, and it won't matter? You know, what doesn't matter? If you remember what Romans, the book of Romans is all about, is Paul is outlining for a shaky church that started up in Rome, what truly is the good news of Jesus. There's a lot of competing things that, that, that were uh trying to say what is the news of God and Paul says this is what it is and this is what saves them and this is what unites them. He spends the first few chapters making a case that all fall short of the glory of God and sit under his wrath. But for the amazing grace of Jesus who justifies us and forgives us of our sin, that we now inherit eternal life. Then we get to chapter 6 and Paul kind of anticipates this question that people might have. uh, That sin just, you know... Does it matter if we keep sinning? And he just shows us that, no way, it doesn't make sense. It's insane for those who are in Jesus to want to still live in sin. And as we get to chapter 7 of this book, Paul's pressing in harder on this question. So that's the context. Uh, So you've got a Bible, have it open to Romans 7. Paul continues his argument, answering this question, should we continue to sin that grace may increase? Now, in chapter 6 of Romans, Paul uses an image of slavery. Uh, We're either slave to sin or slave to God. And then at the start of chapter 7, he changes this metaphor to a metaphor of marriage. Married to the law or married to Christ. Uh, So let me read again from verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV. I do not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, The law being God's commands given the Old Testament. The law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive... She's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. I'm going to pause there. Remember, this is talking about whether or why it matters whether we sin or not anymore. And Paul's using this example of marriage to illustrate what is our new identity. Once we were bound by the law and condemned by it, the law showed us we don't measure up. But now, as we're married to Christ, there are new rules at play. And what once condemned us no longer has the same authority or obligation over us. Let me say that again. What once condemned us, the law condemned us, no longer has the same authority or obligation over us. Because just like, if you look again, verse 3, a woman whose husband has died isn't obligated to that marriage anymore, she's released from that obligation. This is what Jesus did to save us. We're released from condemnation of falling short of God's law because he paid the penalty for us in his death. And Romans 6 talked about that. We died with Christ in the same way we kind of died in this marriage, so we're not bound to the law anymore. We're then made alive in Christ and now bound to him. And that's where this marriage metaphor goes deeper because it demonstrates our new attitude and a new relationship. See, we're married to Christ now. And so even though we're not obligated to the law anymore, we're not married to the law anymore, we're not bound by the law anymore, it's still then our heart to want to please Christ. We're married to Him. We want to listen to Him. We want to love Him. We want to know and walk in His ways. We belong to Him now. And we want to serve Him by the Spirit, the way of the Spirit, and not by the written code. And that's where we see in verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. This is awesome. You belong to another, to Him who who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, he's talking about our death with Christ. By dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I want to try and illustrate this for you because uh, it's hard to get a hand around, head around. Uh, Imagine you're on excursion with your teacher. Might be traumatic for some people, but uh, imagine you're on excursion with your teacher. You're obligated to obey your teacher, right? You, if you don't study hard, if you muck around and are annoying and and are out of line, uh, you're going to get bad grades. You're going to get put in detention. uh, Or worse, you're going to be expelled. You're going to fail school. You're obligated to obey your teacher. But uh, imagine your teacher dies. Okay, maybe that's a bit morbid. Uh, Your teacher goes away. All right. Uh, Don't wish that upon your teachers, guys. Come on. Uh, Your teacher goes away. Instead, you're taken on an excursion by someone else. Uh, Instead, you're taken on excursion by your parent. And you love this parent. You're not motivated to obey your parent because of grades or fear of expulsion. You want to obey your parent because you love them. And you know that it's not just a job for them. And you know that they love you. And they want you to be safe and they want you to learn. They want you to have a swell time. Why should we not keep living in our sin? And why should we want to change? Because we belong to another. This picture of we're married to Christ. We want to bear fruit for God. This is our new identity. Is that how you see your relationship with God? Or do you still see your faith as shoulds and should nots? your heart to please God? Is this something that you think about? Is your heart to want to live for God and run away from sin because you belong to Him? You belong to Him. You want to live His way. And then Paul helpfully gives a clarification and a, and a question that, Uh, is sort of raised, what good is the law then? Is it bad? We're free from it. Should we just kind of open our Bibles and just rip out pages that we don't like? We we obligated to the commandments? Is the law bad? Well, look down verse 7. Verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? And Paul's answer, certainly not, by no means. So what good is the law then? Nevertheless, he says, I would not have known what sin is had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Covet a word for kind of jealousy of someone. So the law reveals to us what sin is. That's why it's good. The law isn't bad. God's commandments are good. God's commandments are not what kills us. Rather, there's something else that kills us. There's a glitch in our system, a part of our nature that's corrupted and is broken and that needs fixing. And although the law doesn't fix the problem, it shows us it's there. Uh, It's a bit like an x-ray. Anyone had an x-ray before? It's cool. Uh, The x-ray won't fix your broken bone. X-ray is not going to fix your bone, but it's still pretty helpful to show us that your bone is broken and where it is broken and how it needs fixing. But Let me tell you, slap around an x-ray, around the bit of bone sticking out of your leg, it's not going to fix your leg. It's not going to fix the problem. There's something in us that wants to be God and it wants to make the rules. This goes back to the very first sin where Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit and what were they tempted by? Because they wanted to be like God. And so when we're told you shouldn't touch that, there's a part of us that's like, well, now I want to touch it. If, if there's a, you know, something and they put a sign on it, not yours, keep away, don't touch, don't eat, you're like, I want that. <laughs> There's something in our nature that wants to be our own God. And why is that? So look at, with me, verse 8. Verse 8 says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and died. This can be uh, a little bit confusing. And it's not saying that the law or God's commands are the problem. And, you know, if we didn't have the law, there wouldn't be sin and we'd be, we'd be fine. We'd be innocent. But rather, it's showing how God's law, what it did was just to expose the deep-seated problem that goes in our every heart. Not just a matter of externals and what we do and whether we can do the law. It goes to our heart. There's a heart problem that needs fixing. So, verse 10 says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? No, by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Can you see that the commandment isn't the problem? Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem, not the commandment. And it's not really popular to describe this part of us. You know, we're led to believe that we're good at heart. And it's oppressive commands, it's the commands and the rules that stifle our humanity, our true humanity and flourishing. This is so true when we think about identity and sexuality and drinking and job security and self-protection. It's hard and we won't accept that there is a part of us that isn't right, that's twisted, that's sinful. But when we put ourselves up, to the mirror of God's Word, we see more clearly what our true spiritual state is. When we put ourselves up to God's Word, we see what our spiritual state is. And Paul speaks of coveting, uh, meaning jealous of what you do not have, that others do have. And it's an interesting command because, that he brings up because it's all about the heart and the mind. You know, Paul might have looked super righteous and holy on the outside. People would have looked and thought, wow, that guy's pretty holy. And Paul probably thought that about himself too. But when you put himself up against God's Word, he realized that in his heart, he was wanting what wasn't his. He was dissatisfied with God and what God had given him. And instead, he despised others who had. I wonder, coveting was a problem for Paul. He brings it up here. Is coveting something that we struggle with. Maybe you're jealous of someone else's girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe you covet someone else's looks or status or job. This is why we need God's Word to show us where we fall short loving and trusting God. God is in the business of transforming us every day to be the people He wants us to be. We belong to another. We belong to another. Uh, Just want to ask you a question and give you a few minutes to uh, process this, talk to the person around you, give you a bit of a break before we rock into the last half of this message. But what does it mean to you that you belong to Jesus? And how does that change your attitude towards sin? So it's on the the screen there. I'll give you just a minute or two just to process a bit of this because there's a lot of words in Romans 7 and it's hard to get through. Uh, But I want you to take a moment there. What does it mean to you that you belong to Jesus? And how does that affect your attitude towards sin? Uh, So take two or three minutes and then I'll be back with you. All right. I reckon there are a few types of people when it comes to talking about sin. Uh, There are those uh, that are unaware of it and need God's Word to bring conviction. Uh, Maybe, you know, we enjoy talking about God's love and grace, but kind of think, well, so He should. I'm amazing. The truth of it is, the deeper we press into God and press into His relationship with Him, press into His Word, the greater our awareness of our shortcomings and of our sin will be, and the greater our awareness and our appreciation of His love and his sacrifice towards us to accept us. But there are also those, and I wonder if this is you tonight, when we talk about sin, a deep well of guilt and despair surfaces. You know, you don't need me to tell you that sin is bad and it's destroying your intimacy with God. And yet you just can't seem to stop. You hate that you look at pornography And you just can't seem to stop. You find yourself drunk again at a party and you just wonder, how did I get here? You know the thoughts you're having towards that person, whether it's anger or maybe lust or jealousy or sinful. And you just can't seem to detach yourself from social media. Maybe you're browsing through your shopping history and you're just ashamed of what you're spending your money on. Maybe for you, pride wasn't even a problem for you. But now that you've started coming to church, you find yourself really struggling not to look down at your old friends. And maybe a thought pops into your head, and I've had this moment too in the midst of my sin. Am I really a Christian if I keep sinning? Am I saved? let's listen to how Paul describes himself in verse 14. Uh, Sometimes we can have this perspective of Paul as this kind of super apostle, a spiritual giant who kind of walked around with a halo around his head. Yet here we get this authentic look into Paul's heart and mind and his wrestle with his own identity. Here is a guy who had experienced spiritual failure. Uh, Verse 14, have a look at these words. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Have you ever experienced this? After you've sinned, or even in the midst of the act, knowing, I, this is not me, I don't want to do this, but you just feel helpless to do anything else. I've been finding this recently with my social media habits. I sort of catch myself wasting time watching all sorts of rubbish videos and I put my phone down and ask, what am I doing? That's not what I want to be. And this feeling of shame and regret can be crushing. But I want you to understand something tonight. Feeling convicted over your sin is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Feeling convicted over your sin is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you become a Christian, suddenly there are now two competing realities at play within the one body. Two competing realities. On the one hand, you are a new creation filled with the Spirit, knowing what is good and pleasing to God. But on the other hand, our old sinful selves claw and fight for control and for airtime. Listen again, Paul, he spells this out, two natures fighting within him. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living He's still with us. <laughs> a lot of do's and want to do's and do not want to do. But let me spell this out. Paul knows what is good, but his sinful nature is right there with him. Has there, anyone ever fought a wounded bear before? Or Steve in Ethiopia? No. A wounded bear fights harder. A mortally wounded bear fights ugly. You see, our sinful nature has been given a deadly blow. Christ on the cross suffered the penalty for our sin, killing its power over us. When we believe in Jesus, our sinful nature has been defeated. And when we believe in Him, our sinful nature is going to want to claw and start to fight ugly. As we grow closer to Jesus, we're going to, still going to encounter temptation and a wrestle to get rid of sin in our life. And sin's going to seem all the more ugly as we grow closer to Jesus. And the, the closer we get to Jesus, He's going to expose stuff in our life, but it's not going to go away without a fight. Look at verse 21. He says, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there within me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's the Holy Spirit there. But I see another law at work within me, waging war, this wounded bear, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a wretched man I am. Has this ever been something that you've cried out? You know, why? Why did I do that? Why why do I keep going there? Spiritual failure can rock your faith. And maybe that's where you're at right now, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of sin, You feel you're stuck. You feel like you've let down the community, let down your family, yourself. You've let down God. You know, I don't know if the world has an answer for this question. Uh, One way would be to just pretend that what you did isn't that bad and you just kind of keep telling yourself that enough that you sort of self-justify away God completely totally out of the picture maybe that's one way to answer that or maybe it's despair answer is despair a few months ago a woman came on the property she's not part of our community but she uh, wanted to take her own life because she had relapsed again into addiction and she just couldn't deal with the shame and confront her family anymore praise be to god that we were able to stop her and and help her but that was her answer despair who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? This is where I want you to listen up because this is the anchor that you must, must bank your life on. This is the anchor that must hold us. This is the anchor that you've got to cling to for dear life. As self-doubt and Satan's lies and the world's expectations are going to be crushing against you. Verse 25 Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. You are delivered from condemnation. You are delivered from your slavery to sin. In your spiritual flight, in your spiritual failure, it may feel like you're living in a pit or a prison, but that is not your reality anymore. You are delivered from it. He has taken you out of there. That is not your identity. That is not your future. That is not your master anymore. And so then, Paul says, So then, I myself, in my mind, a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Too many of you are letting your sin still define you. Still believing that sin has power over you. And you'll never, never, never be able to overcome sin by mustering up shame and law and willpower. You need to believe deep down in your heart, your new reality in Jesus. You are not condemned. As the old hymn says, and it's kind of what I based, we, Vinith and I have been working on this series. We, we based this idea of anchor on. It's an old hymn that says, when weary on this earthly race, are you feeling weary? When weary on this earthly race, I rest in His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds and will not fail. And our response has got to be, worship. Thanks be to God. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Have you thanked God for rescuing you from your sin? And so I want to read to you guys, I want to finish tonight uh, with another song, lyrics of one of my favorite songs. Uh, It's by a band called King's Kaleidoscope. and It's a song called Felix Cooper. It's Latin for a word, It means a fortunate fall. Uh, This song describes the battle, the pain, the shame of sin. And yet he chooses to see past his failures, past his struggles. And he sees it as a testimony to God's grace in his life. And that's why it is a fortunate fall. And he doesn't love that he falls. Remember, we belong to Jesus. We we hate that we still sin. But because of God's mercy, because there is now no condemnation, in God's great story of redemption, even our sin, hear this, guys, even our sin can be a story of God's grace to us. And so that he says, I glory in my sins forgiven. And that's why I want to be a person that can admit my past sins, uh, even if they're shameful, can admit my present sins because I can see them as God's story of grace to me. I'm a new person. That's the identity. That's the reality I want to live. And my prayer for you especially, especially as we consider core groups, as an application that you might be freed with a a few close brothers and sisters. That you might be free to be vulnerable with your struggles with sin because you can remind each other that Christ has forgiven you. Our sin has lost its power over us to give us identity because Christ's deliverance is our new identity. So listen to these words. These are the words, uh, and some of this song is based on this chapter in Romans. This is where I want to finish tonight. Turn the lights on. Look at what I have. See the twisted trophies of a dead man. Countless stories tell of sin and pain. But, they sing the sweetness of my Savior's grace. I'm a torn man, spirit fighting flesh. There's a battle raging deep in my chest. And all that haunts me, all that leaves a stain, only sings the sweetness of my Savior's grace. And so he can say, a fortunate fall, my sins are stories of grace to recall. A fortunate fall, I glory in my sins forgiven. Can you say that? Can you cry out and worship, thanks be to God. Glory in Him that your sins are forgiven. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for those who tonight uh, are in the midst of that wrestle, a spirit fighting flesh and just feeling condemned. Lord, I pray for the truth of this word would ring deep in their soul, in their heart, that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we belong to you. We are in Christ. We are protected. We are shielded. May that be our anchor tonight. Lord, I pray for those who, uh, and for all of us, Lord, we need your word. We need your beautiful law, your word to expose our spiritual state and where, where we have strayed from you, that you would guide us into what is good and lovely and true. Because we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to honor you. We want to worship you with our whole beings even when we struggle with that. So Lord, anchor us firm tonight. May there be healing and forgiveness and change in the name of the King Jesus, who has risen from the dead, who has victory over all power and sin and condemnation. And it is to you that we look to tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.